0: So this Pari uh, every fortnight is uh, is very, uh, I found over 44 years very strong, uh, experience. And remember when I first heard the Pari Mukha as a newly day ordained bhikkhu, and of and, um, course I was very impressed that somebody should. Recite uh, like 227 rules in Pali uh, in such a short time, but in itself, I found it an incredibly powerful ceremony. And I think, what is a ceremony for? You know, is it is it just uh, you know a perfunctory thing that people do, uh, you know, just out of habit or because they it's what they used to, or what they're supposed to be doing. I uh, on not know, like this, but well, so it's uh, uh, you know, it's uh, so this is a commitment that we all have in common, uh, as symbolized by this recitation, and and it's all about renunciation, uh, letting go, and about about behavior, so that our you know, we're learning to uh, live with in a way that is harmless, basically nonviolent, harmless, and uh, polite and proper, and, and in various ways, such from, from you know serious offences such as violent actions or theft, and that which are disturbing offences, to more or less agreed forms of etiquette, ways of. Conducting ourselves within a within this tradition and this structure, but also it is a, a uniting event in which this uh, this sense of this common commitment, uh, and then over years of this of reciting this uh, before night, then it does. Feel the, the kind of power in, the, in just the the bonding the of a, a ceremony, that uh, and you begin to understand more profoundly what ceremonies, how they can be used, what their point is. In living in uh, in the UK for so many years, where. Uh, modern life is almost thrown out ceremony and, and it's all very much about human rights and what individuals think and feel and uh, all kind of etiquette, good manners is no longer particularly uh, admired sense of duties or responsibilities to each other it's all, uh, you know, self-proclaiming my rights and what I think and, and uh, so this is... Uh, a society based on these principles of individuality and freedom and, and human rights, in which uh, ceremonies, ancient customs, and that can be seen as irrelevant or something uh, no longer necessary for a modern life. <laughs> but in my own experience <coughs> of living within uh, this tradition, uh, then it you know, it's, uh, because one does make that commitment and when you become, when you take the upasampada, then of course it is, you know, it's not coming in to negotiate your position or, or to try to change it, but to, to, uh, you know, like memorize the, the rules of Vinaya and learn how to live within the structure. Uh, not as a, you know, as a kind of, uh, Institutionalization, but as a way of of limiting action and speech to where we can get uh, a better perspective on behavior and on how to live together uh, as a group of monks. Like in, uh, you know, contemplating my life in, let's see, in uh, living, you know, first. Because I lived only with Thai monks, and so then, of course, I was adapting myself to completely different culture, language, and, and uh, attitudes that I didn't quite understand or appreciate at the time. But uh, you know, there was there was a sense of I'm here so do it, you know, the way they do it, and not here to negotiate a special position for myself. <clears throat> and in time, at the time, that was possible, like uh, prop runs were relatively rare. It was in 1966, 67, and, and uh, you know, there weren't very many of us, and it, it seemed like a and a up in Udon, and I think there was one that in what, playing with pasana, and, and there was one in what, or one away things like that, and about, I think, five or six that, that I was aware of at the time, in 1966. And so, uh, and so you know, the, the Thai people were quite uh, welcoming in every way, you know, and eager to, to uh, form, to please for us. and so one could kind of pull strings and manipulate conditions for one's own benefit. And the thing that I really appreciated with Lumpur Charles was that uh, he wouldn't do that. I couldn't, you know, there's no way I could uh, manipulate him. <laughs> Nor did I want to, but uh, I, you know, I really didn't want to, to Use my my size because I, I'm much bigger than Thais and my uh, farang qualities and so forth as ways of, uh, you know, as, as weapons or as, as attachments that that uh, I have used in the past. You know, as a famous, quite manipulative character. So, in what poem, it was uh, you know, merely learning how to uh, let go and, and surrender to it, and and uh, learn how to do it uh, in the way that everybody else is doing it in, in what I call at that time. Now, I'm my generation. We were brought up to not copy and imitate others, you know, you know about asserting our unique characters, our individuality, and, uh, and I was talking to uh, Ajahn Cabley this morning about uh, I'll do it my way, but thanks and i <laughs> And that, that's the theme of my generation, I'm going to do it my way. <laughs> and so that, and of course this life is, is uh, almost the, you know, not doing it my way anymore, in the sense of of you know my personal tendencies or habits or preferences about doing it in this way in a, in a traditional way mm-hmm. now the, the benefit of this is that one can get perspective on my way you know do you have to do you, you know you really use the form the denial of the structure and all that for mindfulness then you do get, you know, you get clear, uh, you know, insights into all the subtle uh, attitudes and perceptions that that come from this sense of me and mine. And so that's that's what we want to see. You know, and really, the aim of this life, uh, of the monastic form, as in, as it personified in this institution, is is not becoming. It's not about becoming anything or attaining or achieving. It's really moving towards relinquishing. This attitude of of letting go, relinquishing, surrendering, uh, these words are much more useful and helpful than attaining and achieving. When I hear people talking about (coughs) attaining, stream entry, or arahantship or things like this, it's, it's not... This does not make sense. Uh, there's not an attainment. You can't attain that. Uh, because attaining to me is always coming from desire to get something you don't have. Uh, and uh, you know, like shift can be, become an arhat is like maybe a PhD or something you may not have yet that you want and you hope to get. Uh, in the future, through doing things to attain it, where the, Monash- the Buddhist monasticism is more, is not about getting something uh, or attaining anything that you, you know, that you don't have, and hoping to to achieve it in the future, but letting go of desire and ignorance and that which is, uh, you know, one can become aware of. Be aware of in the present, so it's actually moving towards nothingness, towards non-self. It's like nothing at all, moving toward, you know, to total relinquishment. There's nothing left, so when there's nothing, when there's no attachment, then there's nothing. In that sense of uh, the, the sense of a separate self and the illusions that that come out of ignorance have been relinquished, so that there is knowing. there's still this you know, there's consciousness, knowing, awareness, but non-self, anatta, nibbana, non-attachment. There's, a, you know, you, you you investigate till you you fully, insightfully observe attachment. You have to. Really contemplate attachment before you can let go. I mean, you can hold the idea I should let go of everything, let go of desires, and be hated in delusion. That's a you know very good idea, but that's all it is. It's not about uh, letting you know letting go of these uh, desires through uh, through wishing that you could, but it's through observing. A witnessing the suffering that comes through attachment to desire, contemplating desire and like the Dhanha is uh, it, it is not something to to despise. It's to know desire as desire, and, and to see, to observe desire as an object rather than uh, be caught in the desire to get rid of desire or uh, all the complicated ways that the, the thinking mind and, and conditioned attitudes out of ignorance can can operate in the second noble truth the uh, gama dana, bhava this gives us three categories of uh, you know, from, you know sense, sense desires to becoming and annihilating or getting rid of so in my own practice over the years, I just studying I studied desire, uh, you know, as, it, as I feel it in my mind, you know, wanting to get something I don't have is like this. And it's like Bhavadana, I put that in the category, Bhavadana, wanting to become something so, you know, when, when you're meditating in order to attain or achieve, it's like this, you know, the desire to attain, to get jhanas or attain stages or achieve uh, things like to be the observer of this, this desire to get something you think you, you don't have yet, that you hope to get in the future, is like this. Now, to make this really conscious, to be, you know, not to, you know, to really appreciate desire as something to learn from. Godman of course, is, is quite obvious. Desire, sensual desire, and you know, what is pleasing to the senses—uh—to sight, and sound, smell, taste, touch. Uh, these are. You know, the desires are part of this realm. This is a desire realm that we're experiencing. Uh, this is a desire form. The human body is uh, is all about desire. You know, we wouldn't be here <laughs> uh, if our parents didn't have desire. <laughs> and and uh, this is a, this is a sense realm. So it's all about you know, this uh, what is attractive or uh, repulsive and pleasing or unpleasing through, through, that we feel with the body uh, or experience through the senses and the body. So then you have noticed that this realm is a dualistic realm and this this means that, they, that it's all about uh, they have one thing having its opposite. So if you have good then you have to have bad. You know, they they go together right and wrong, true and false, heaven and hell, right and wrong. It's all you know, the, the whole stuck the whole language that we speak is based on this dualism, on on the critical faculty developing this is this is better than that, or bigger or smaller, or uh, you know, we have our preferences, our desires and our that which we we want to hold on to and that which we want to get rid of. We're poor done now. There's so much desire to destroy or get rid of what we don't like. (coughs) I don't know how many times I've been asked over all these years, how do I get rid of anger? You know People will ask me, is, "How how can I get rid of my anger? You know, I I get angry, and I want to get rid of it. Tell me how to do it." And so this, you know, because the desire to get rid of anger rather than to let go of anger. This uh, anger is a kind of primal emotion. You know, it's a, it's it, this is a realm in which anger arises there's a lot to be angry about and so it's uh, <laughs> it's uh, part of the package of being born in a, in a, as a mammal as a human being in this realm is we experience desire, greed uh, sensual desire and anger jealousy and fear and doubt and worry and so these are you know, common to us all. They're not, you know, they're not personal problems. Really, they are the way they are. So when people ask me how do I get rid of anger, they're, you don't. You you know anger. You you recognize it. You investigate. You study it, uh, and then you begin to see the attachment to anger. Why getting an attachment means we. We are pulled into anger through speaking or acting on it, or we try to get rid of it. We try to suppress it or resist it. Both of those are extreme reactions, wanting to get rid of anger or or being totally caught up into it, lost in our angry uh, vibration. And so this... This uh, practice mindfulness then is the way that we can actually observe anger, desire, sexual des- desire, in a celibate life. You know, we choose to live a, a celibate life, which means that we we give up our rights to uh, uh, intentional sexual activities. Uh, and so we you know, this is it's, you know sex, sexual desires is this, you know, one of the powerful energies that we experience through the, through the body, the sexual form, so it's, you know, it's a powerful energy that we you know, that we relinquish the action and speech in regarding it, but in terms of the actual reality of it, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's to be understood, to be seen in terms of it is the way it is. And then our celibate uh, lifestyle is one that helps us to get that kind of perspective on the sexual energies or impulses or uh, conditions that we experience through this form. And not to see it in terms of you know, so much in such personal terms as my sexual problems or my, you know, my my sex drive and what, the way we, we claim it and and judge ourselves according uh, to cultural attitudes or religious attitudes we have about uh, sexuality or anger, hatred, jealousy. Jealousy is another one, isn't it? It is a very powerful primal emotion. Uh, and that's part of the package. And uh, in my own, you know, I, uh, when I started, when I became a monk, then, you know, jealousy was an emotion I didn't like at all. You know, so I really hated myself when I felt jealousy. Arising, because my ideal self is that I wasn't jealous. This is what how I wanted to perceive myself as someone who was not jealous. And so then, when this particular emotion arose, then I, I try to get rid of it, or deny it, or or sometimes just feel helplessly trapped in in an in emotion that I didn't like, didn't want. So then you know, ask people, well, what do you do with jealousy? Spread mudita. Mudita is the cure for jealousy. So I, I couldn't do that either. <laughs> I couldn't pretend I was glad to somebody when I was actually jealous of them. So, <laughs> I felt frustrated with it. And then, then it dawned on me that jealousy wasn't the problem, it was the uh, aversion to it. It was like whippo that actually jealousy is, wasn't really so much of a problem as this uh, wanting to get rid of it. And I ended up i claiming it you know, I shouldn't feel this, this is bad, I'm bad for feeling this emotion, how do I get rid of it? and, and uh, on and on in that way that was the I put that under the category of ripwandanha, wanting to get rid of it, resist it, suppress it, deny it. Once I saw that, that that resistance and aversion I had to emotion, actually the emotion itself wasn't wasn't very much of a problem. So these are you know notice how complicated we become uh, it, because, like in, in the Western world, we're very idealistic, and when we become monks, we we come with very high-minded ideas about you know being a really good Buddhist monk and being compassionate, metta and karuna and and pure and good and and so forth, and then we uh, you know we measure our own with the ideal that we have of what a, a really good bhikkhu should be. Or maybe you compare yourself, maybe you do kubajans or great teachers and they're the great pure souls and I'm just this, this kind of wretched monk who's so far away from purity. And so we, you know, then we, we see ourselves always in terms of what's wrong. Uh, compared to the projections we have towards others or the ideal of perfection that we hold. Now the only way one can ever really get this into perspective is to observe it, you know. So this, this, uh, these three kinds of desires, gamma, dana, bhava, dana, vipva, are found very skillful categories to use you know, just for investigating my own character tendencies and habits. Then, of course, the... the uh, I know that, you know, that in uh, living in the Thai monastery, for example, and, uh, you know, with uh, Wapakom, before Westerners started coming, you know, they, the, the Thai monks, the Isan monks that I lived with, they were all, you know, from the farms around, you know, from rice farming families, and and they, and they were brought up in Buddhist uh, culture. So they had a kind of, uh, kind of cultural acceptance of their human failings. You know, they didn't suffer, I didn't think they suffered like I did, because I couldn't, you know, my culture was based on how things should be, on ideals, not on the way things are, and not really knowing myself for what it is to be a human male in the present moment, you know, but coming always from the idea that I'm, I have to work on myself to get something, to get rid of these bad habits, and to develop good ones in order to become something better in the future. So this this way of reflecting, you know, and then the, the attitude of mindfulness, put being aware of desire. And then you contemplate that which is aware of desire ability to observe it to feel it you know you can actually you know determined to really you know investigate this wanting to get something or get rid of something you can you begin to notice it as a aramana or an object in the mind in consciousness no. and that which is aware of desire Bhutto is not desire And so you begin to discern pure subjectivity, awareness, and then the desires that come and go in in our conscious moments are like this. So that means you're actually taking refuge in buddha Dhamma sangha aware of desire, of suffering, of the causes, of the end of suffering, of of the path of non-suffering the eightfold path and the more you you kind of investigate then it, you know it begins to you know you begin to really know this in a, on a in a profound way it's no longer just me struggling with trying to to get my practice together but it's it's actually, you know, a powerful uh, move, movement away from uh, attachment out of ignorance. You see, you, you know the reality of attachment is always going to be suffering. And it's not attachment in itself, it's attachment out of ignorance. avijja, Vajraya Sankara, and then it goes into suffering, you know. So, as long as avijja or ignorance of dhamma is the motivating force for our practice, for our monastic life, then this life is always going to end up as dukkha. You know, it, it, you know, this, this form is, is in itself is for reflection, not for attachment. So, you know, this this emphasis on awareness, on mindfulness is, you know, this is a very, uh, this is unique, I think, in in the realm of religion in the world, you know, the the emphasis the Buddha placed on satisamparjanya and satipanya. And it's, uh, you know, you don't, no other religion puts such an emphasis on this, on this point. At least in, in such a direct and clear way as you find in this tradition, in the Theravada tradition. And then uh, the sutta, the basic of the, the Tamajaka sutta, the first sermon, is, this is the point of it awakened attention. And then that is the the gate or the, the the escape hatch from the world of ignorance and birth and death and suffering. So, you know, this is how how do we escape when they say what is the escape from suffering is it through suppressing everything we don't like? Is it through controlling the conditioned realm? You know, trying to control everything around us so that nothing unpleasant ever impinges on us, or nothing you know, all everything's beautiful and and melodic and fragrant. I mean, we can imagine, you know, a heavenly realm where everything is is beautiful and And wonderful, but this realm is like this, isn't it? This human realm, planetary life, is not heaven, not heavenly realm. If you're having a body, it's like this, you know. Having a male body, you know, having the male karma, is is, you know, this strong sexual drive uh, is like this, you know. It's awareness of of, it's not a heavenly state, but it's certainly what we learn from in this realm, because this is what, what we, this is the this is very stuff that we can be mindful of. We can't be mindful of heaven, or deva realms, or brahma realms, or anything like that. We, we're mindful of the way it is now, as, as we're sitting here, breathing in this, in this body, in whatever condition uh, it might be at this moment, and this mind, this uh, you know, this the emotions, the feelings, the attitudes, the mood that one is experiencing uh, right now, this we can. You know, this is what we learn from from the way it is. And so his mindfulness is, brings us out of, you know, is, is the way out of the world, realm of suffering. Even though, you know, like, you know, the, the body still gets old, like the Buddha in the scriptures. You know, he, after the enlightenment he got old and had illnesses and, and, you know, and then lived with people trying to threaten his life. Um, tried to blame him for things he never did, trap him, blame him, you know. I, the suffering of my life as a Buddhist monk, even at its worst, I've never had anything as bad happen to me as the Buddha in the scriptures. Nobody's ever tried to kill me yet. Or have I encountered a drunken elephant? <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, that's comforting, isn't it? You know, I guess you can, when, when you're caught in the middle of, a, you know, being blamed or criticised and and uh, in various ways, uh, you know, then you, you know, that's not fair. Be, then you think, well, read the scripture. You know, look what happened to the Buddha. You know, that happens, you know, to the Buddha, you know, nothing that bad has happened yet. Might <laughs> have the future, but the important thing is not to wait for the for the drunken elephants or the murderers, but to deal with the the, the nitty gritty of daily life, the little stuff, you know, the the irritating uh, aggravating stuff of existence as we experience it in daily life. Learn from, from this because this is most of my life is going to be like this. It's not going to be the big experiences the, the extreme events but just this sitting, standing, walking, lying down, breathing, uh, living in society and, and being human having a, a body that is very sensitive and gets illnesses, gets old. We all have to experience loss of loved ones. You know, you, you have to deal with grief and loss and disappointment and despair. These are part of the human uh, condition. And all this is for developing the path. You know, none of this, none of these conditions are obstructive because all alternative phenomena then is, is seen in terms of what it is. So even, you know, despair and disappointment, resentment, indignation, anxiety, worry, confusion, uh, sexual desires, uh, praise and blame and all the rest, these are not, these don't obstruct the path. The only you know, but ignorance is the, is the cause. Okay. Desire then, <coughs> this is a desire realm, but, you know, when one awakens, so this sense of awakened attention is, then the each other's gone with mindfulness. In a mindful moment, there's no of other. You know, so mindfulness isn't... The, that is not a position one takes with holding on to a view about dhamma or, or anything at all, but it, it's this ability we have to be fully present and, <clears throat> and fully present and aware in the, in, at this moment, here and now. And then there's no alitya. But then it's, if we operate from Avicca, then it's like, I have to be mindful. Then, then I start creating myself, you know, and grasp the idea of mindfulness and thinking I have to, I have to become more mindful. Then the Avicca the starts. So this is where this a, a kind of investigation, you know, like Yoni Somanasikara, getting to the very root, you know, the, the basis of it all before, uh, you know, where we can actually catch things as they arrive, begin to observe, you know, the arriving of feelings, or, or after feelings have arisen, you know, maybe, uh, you know, the emotions can move so fast that you, you find yourself very angry all of a sudden. And then, you know, then you feel really outraged or completely angry in the present moment, but then just being aware of that you know, using it as an object for reflection. Mm. So at that moment, when there's awareness of anger, that is not a Ica influencing anger anymore. Anger is, is, is recognized and seen, and it is not, you know, dismissed, not denied, not exaggerated, but no. And that which is aware of anger is non-anger. That which is aware of greed is non-greed. And that which is aware of delusion is non-delusion. So you have like Lopa, dosa moha, greed, hatred and delusion, then you have halopa adosa amoha. So mindfulness is the, is the way, is, is the only escape we have from Lopa knows more. Not through uh, running from them and, and uh, pushing them or resisting, but in letting go of them, seeing them with knowing, with mindfulness, rather than operating from avijja, which is the cause of suffering. Also, this realm is a desire realm, so Don't expect desires to stop or never experience them, but you know them, there's a knowing. You know, and and uh, desire is no longer something you're getting rid of or making any problem about, you just know what it is. You know what it is, it's not a problem, it's not a head of So there's desire and non-desire. That which is aware of desire is non-desire. And okay, so then you can okay, this awareness of desire isn't desire. So non desire, non greed, non hatred, non delusion, non suffering, no self, non attachment. These are, uh, this is mindfulness. This is the, the only possibility, when you, when you really get to understand it, the only possible way we can deal with it. Because this realm that we're experiencing is so, you know, it's, it's so powerful, so real for us. Having a physical body is, you know, it's from, from birth to death is unrelenting. Sensory feeling, you know, ongoing impingement on the on the body and senses, the mind. It, it, it's, it's relentless. And how do you get out of it? Not to, you know, suicide. Is that? I don't know. if That is, but that's not recommended the way <laughs> because one would commit suicide out of avijja. You know, I can't stand life anymore, I'm going to cut my throat. Mm-hmm. So that, that doesn't sound like the, the escape from it, it's just, you know, who knows what happens when you kill yourself, but I'm not about to do that to find out. It's much better in the way the Buddha advised, <laughs> is to awaken and be mindful. Now in the, in the Paticha Samupada, then you your you notice that, what is it, Bhati Loma Anuloma you've the avicā is the beginning of avica bhaja sankha sankha bhaja vinyada. Well just take that, you know, if, if we, whatever we do, with i it affects consciousness. You know, so we're, you know that's why it's it, it's uh, very important to to see that to, that just operating being a monk with a beach as your kind of you know foundation for living this life is going to you know you you you've got the tools you've got everything around you but you still have a, you know you're still operating from a beach out which affects you know, monastic life, which will always make it into some form of suffering. Dukkha is a result. And so you, you follow that secret, sabhisa, bhajya, sangha, sangha, bhajya, vijnana, then it goes into the more particular, vijnana, bhajya, nama, rupa, and salayatana, then uh, pasta, or contact, then wadana dana ubadan, and then that ubadan, there, attachment to desire, dana ubadan, takes us to uh, becoming rebirth and suffering. So upayasa. Then the other one, where the nirota side, is where the avicak is no longer operative. So you say niroda Sankarni niruddha, sankhara niruddha, vinnana Nirodha, nirodha, nirodha vinnana nirodha, nirodha. So, so this niroda is cessation, and that comes through mindfulness. Wherever you know, if you you know if you're lost in in some emotion that point that you're actually aware of it, you suddenly realize, well, I'm really angry, you know, and suddenly you're aware, you're not just getting lost in it or resisting it, you're suddenly, then that, that is, you know, if you trust that moment, recognize the power of that moment, then you, 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 you know, you can actually uh, not create anything more around it. So it's that kind of neuroda moment. The thing will, you know, if you recognize anger is like this, you still, you know, anger has a powerful kind of vibration or energy to it, so you stop thinking the thinking process, yes, but you still have this kind of angry energy. And this is where it takes patience to bear with that energetic uh, lingering, uh, uh, lingering energy till it ceases; it, it drops away. as nirvana. So this uh, Patita Samubhava, you know, I really used that in my monastic life as a meditation, as if you know this is considered one of the uh, essential teachings. Uh, and what the Buddha was, was contemplating uh, is enlightenment. So I thought, you know, it, you know, it always sounded so complicated when you read it. I remember reading it for the first time. I can't get my mind around that one. <laughs> and, and then the Naroda saw it. sounded like annihilation. Consciousness ceases. When consciousness ceases, means you're dead. <laughs> is <that> so? <laughs> so is it, is it, you know, these, uh, taking it too literally in a, you know, from a Western mindset, is, 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 you can get it wrong. But, to say, with with a vicha, you know, vicha ceases, then the, then there's no problem It's just the way things are. But then we... We lose it, we get caught up in our you get know, carry away with with an emotion. But there's always that moment where we recognize it, you know. So no matter how many hours you're lost in anger or resentment or whatever, there's a, you catch yourself, you begin to observe it. And then you and then you kind of look at it uh, and not not trying to do anything with it or figure out how to get rid of it or to blame yourself for not being mindful enough you just stop there and patiently bear with the lingering uh, results of that emotion is like this and if uh, with this patient mindfulness then you will actually know the cessation of it the end of anger is here. And non-anger then, when the when anger does has cease, then there's non-anger like this. So you're, you're, you're recognizing non-anger. You're discerning it. Then it's a wisdom level, you know, discerning non-anger. You know the difference between anger and non-anger not through definitions of the words but through the the reality of those kind of that, that energy that we call anger and its absence. So this is uh, I think this is the most Marvelous teaching in the whole world, the Buddhist—not <laughs> mine <but> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because it—it it, it, it amazes me, you know, the results of it. Because it—it it does work. It's not just kind of philosophy or theory or anything like that. It's—it is extremely practical and quite precise uh, and. Uh, and it's within the possible, within our human potential. You know, this, this is why we hear here speakers, as monks, as monastics, because this is this is, this is fulfilling, this is like the ultimate in, in human reality, in that we have this potential, this possibility, to see in this very direct way. And, and the sea in this way is humbling, it's not, it doesn't, you know, leaves you with nothing to hold on to. So you can't say, oh, I'm, you know, really, you know, I'm a fantastic meditator, or I'm, you know, I'm, you know, we start attaining states, then we become fantastic people. But this way, if uh, you become, you don't become, you become you you're letting go of becoming, so what's left is nothing but awareness. And that awareness then is, is enough, I mean, after that there's nothing, you know, the, the desire to attain and achieve is no longer operating, does not not attractive option anymore, the idea of attaining and achieving and becoming something. You, you realize the futility of following those kind of desires. So like when, you know, people, like Ajahn Chah, you know, people ask me, you know, about him, well, you know, if I rise up early on, you know, before I really could understand his Devanas, uh, us, um, you know, you to notice when he you know, whenever he started giving a talk, you know, he sitting up in a high seat in the tomato and he he's going, like, totally empty. He, he, his face, if he looked at his face and his eyes, it's like nobody's there, nothing's there. It was rather eerie in a way. You know, like when Patra was quite a charismatic personality, so he could be brilliant, kind of charming, and he's sitting up there in the tomato and was Empty, vacant, almost corpse sitting there, and out of that would come his diction, his talk, from emptiness. So they were, they were, you know, really not. They weren't just Lumpo Cha's view about Dhamma practice or view of Buddhism. It, it actually, you know, the power of Lumpo Cha was that actually what he said was coming out of nothing. It wasn't a memorized, planned talk on uh, having studied the scriptures, it was was coming straight out of nothingness or emptiness, and it was mesmerizing, you know, people. That's why, you know, he was so highly regarded, because he wasn't just a a clever monk, you know, who understood Pali scriptures. But it was coming from, um, uh, you know, insight into reality. So even when I couldn't understand, you know, the words and that, I didn't feel the effect. You know, there's something there that I couldn't explain or at the time, you know, didn't really understand myself because I never experienced that before. But I did, you know, I mean, why does it look like? You know, empty, nobody there. Almost like a corpse. And then suddenly it would flow from there. And and what he said always had a power to it. It was a skillful use of words uh, that wasn't just a, a display of his own intelligence, but coming from from insight. So I offer this as a reflection.